Hi, this is Susan Parker with ELR Legal Search. And on today's episode of ELR Presents, we have a dear friend of mine, Jonna Story. I'm really excited about this guest. I had the pleasure of meeting her, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago at the Professional Development Consortium Conference. And ever since then, I've been learning and laughing with Jonna Story. She's the Director of Professional Development at Finnegan. It's a worldwide IP firm headquartered in D.C., She's been really doing everything related to professional development for the last 25 years. She's really active in really helping integrate new lawyers into the firm, helping lawyers that are already there. She's active in the attorney well-being initiative. Today, I'm going to talk to her, really pick her brain about the performance evaluation process and the importance of things like real-time feedback and how the folks listening can really leverage some of the ideas and thoughts Jonna has to make a successful integration in a new firm or just to find more success where you currently are. So Jonna, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Great. So let's talk about performance evaluations because I know all of you and different friends of mine at different firms, when that time of year comes, it's stressful, right? Talk to me about kind of the flow of that and how you see the things that you've done to kind of improve that for better overall results. Yeah. So here at Finnegan, we've always done performance evaluations for our attorneys. And we also have student associates and technical specialists and patent agents, just given that we are all IP. And so when I say attorneys, I really wrap all of that into everyone kind of into that category. So we've done them twice a year. We do it at the six month mark of our billable year and then at the full year. We changed our system a little bit to at the six month mark, we really only now evaluate those who've been in their position two years or less. So it calls down that system a little bit or that population so that there's not as many to do. It feels like an all year round process because like, once we wrap up the spring, the fall's like right behind it. But we do evaluate everyone in the fall because our billable year is September through August. So we're in the thick of it at the moment we're recording this. It's literally in the thick of it. I've spent most of the day on evaluation issues today. So in terms of the timing, yeah, we, we just look at the six-month mark in terms of you know how people... It's more of a check-in with being here under two years and then the fall is really when the big process starts because that's tied to compensation and bonus determinations and then partnership consideration as well at the end of the year. So that's kind of the timing of how it works for us. Gotcha. So what can associates do? Let's start with associates. What can they do to really help prepare themselves for success, right? Because you can't just start the day or the week of the evaluation. What can they do? I would say a few things. I think the first thing is to be familiar with the criteria that you're being evaluated on. The way that Finnegan defines it, we have our work quality criteria, and that's more of the technical skills of writing and legal ability and analysis and that sort of thing. And then we look at the business skills or the transferable skills of getting along with others and oral advocacy or or things like that that are maybe less technical but are still really important to, we call those firm citizenship skills. So things that contribute either to your own professional development or to the reputation of the firm, business development, you know, working on DEI initiatives, things like that. So 
know what those criteria are. Know that you have to be a good lawyer first. Those work quality skills are weighed a little bit more heavily, but also those firm citizenship skills are going to get discussed and evaluated and how much time are you putting in on those things to make yourself a better lawyer and or to make the firm a better place in the market. Yeah, super important to know what the criteria is. And I guess if you're new to the firm, like ask, right? Ask about those things. Ask. Absolutely. And we do that, you know, as part of our orientation process. When new hires start, we do a session. I do a session on, you know, what are the criteria and how how do you get evaluated? And, and the process itself can come a little bit later because if someone's starting, let's say, in May, they won't get evaluated till the fall. So we don't spend as much time on process, but we do spend time on criteria. And we also advise them at that point as well to start thinking about tracking what you're doing, because although you're entering your time and you're writing down your tasks and doing that sort of stuff, you're not always doing that as diligently with your non-billable activities. So if you helped write an article or proposal or things like that, track that sort of stuff and track some of those skills. Oh, I I took three depositions and keep that in mind as you go on, because we don't follow a core competency model like a lot of firms do. But we do have milestones. So we think if you're at this level, you should reach certain milestones. And so we put those out there and say, track your milestones just in a Word doc or something so that when it's time to do your evaluation, you don't have to look back on six months or 12 months of what did I do over the past year? There's no way I'd be able to do that. Yeah, because you won't remember it. Exactly. Doesn't it seem like getting folks to accept the fact that it's just something that you've got to do on a regular basis. Almost like you you can't exercise once a year and go, wow, I'm going to get results, right? It's every day. You know, just even putting it into your outlook. This is what I did. Hey, I served on that committee or I wrote that article, right? And then you go back in your calendar and you can go, oh, I'm much more prepared for this. Exactly. I think a lot of people rely on their time entries to recognize or remember what they've done. And I think that only goes so far because you have to write your time entries in such a certain way that the billers will accept it and that it'll actually go on the bill. So we'll actually get paid for it. There's, I think, so many more nuances to what's behind what that time entry on the bill actually is. And so I think it's important to kind of keep those dual records. And frankly, if you do it cumulatively, it takes much less time than trying to sit down and do it all at once because it just the time equation doesn't work so well. And time is our commodity. That's it. Right. I like that. So when you're a partner and you're getting ready for the evaluation process, you and I have talked a lot about real-time feedback and the importance of feedback. Talk to me about what you've been seeing and how you try to enact some change there in that regard. The real-time feedback has been, unfortunately for us, a little slow going, but I think we are getting some traction on it. We're trying to again, with the time calculation, trying to say that if you do provide this real-time feedback as a partner or supervisor, that you then can have that information at your fingertips when it is time to do the formal evaluation. That should be easily editable and able to just be put into the formal evaluation. That will save you so much time when you're doing your evaluation. And especially, you know, in our patent prosecution practice, We might have a supervisor, a senior associate or partner who's supervising 20 or so 
other people. And so they've got to do 20 evaluations. And if they spend an hour on each one, that's a lot of time. The real-time feedback, I think, would be much more beneficial to the partners and supervisors. At the same time, the associates or those receiving the feedback, it'll be much more substantive when they get it and much more meaningful when they get it real-time. Because then you can do a course correction, then you can you know, nip something in the bud and not let it accumulate into, into a bigger problem. So if someone's writing is a little bit weak and you're not really telling them that their writing's a little bit weak or why, they don't really have the opportunity to make it better. I think you're robbing the associates or whomever that you're working with of the chance to do better And then that kind of sets them up for failure in the evaluation. Like, oh, yeah, they're a bad writer. So let's try and catch that in March or, you know, let's try and catch that earlier on so that we can provide them with maybe training or other coaching or other things so that they can then get that feedback and make those adjustments so their formal evaluation can come out a little bit better. Exactly. You know, everybody's caught up in their own world. You know, we always think that people have time to think about what I'm doing or, but I have to take responsibility. Let's say I'm an associate. I have to take the responsibility to track that, to take the initiative and to make it easier for the person or people evaluating me to evaluate me. Right. 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 Donna, what advice do you have for folks as they prepare for their evaluation and as they just prepare for success in regards to how they manage their brand within the firm? how they show up in terms of communication. What kind of tips do you have from your years of experience that you've seen so many people? What would you say to that new person that's just joined a new firm that they should focus on or think about? Well, I think you've just said the word a few times, prepare. Preparation is really going to be your best tool in success evaluations, I think, because as I said, if you have that criteria, if you know what is being looked at, then you're able to work toward that goal uh, for yourself. So being prepared is leading up to the process. Being prepared is really going to get you really far. I think the other thing is preparing for those one-on-one meetings, whether or not it be real-time feedback or the formal evaluation meeting. Here at Finnegan, we have a review partner committee. So there's a partner assigned to every person being evaluated. And that review partner is typically not in that person's practice group so that they can kind of have a more even keeled and less judgmental view. And, you know, the review partner and then the partner advisor and practice group leader then meet with the person being evaluated. And so that can be a little bit intimidating. So you want to prepare for that meeting as well. You want to have, you want to come in with some questions. How can I do better? You want to come in with questions on, okay, well, you're telling me I'm doing a great job. That's awesome. What's next for me? What should I be looking for as my next work assignment? Or who should I be talking to that can help me achieve this career goal that I have set for myself? So that sort of preparation all along, but then even specifically getting into that review meeting is, I think, what's going to set you up for success. And it just demonstrates to those three partners in the room that you're with that you really want to be successful, right? Going into something and just being like, okay, all right, tell me, tell me how it's going. It's not going well. All right, I'll try and fix that. 
not, not terribly helpful and doesn't show a lot of energy or enthusiasm or initiative really on your part. So, right. you know, and I'm not saying not all evaluation meetings are easy, right? Some are more challenging. Some messages are more challenging to receive. Those I think you have to be even more prepared for. I have always said, if you go into an evaluation meeting and you're surprised at what you hear, then there's been a breakdown far before this meeting. Absolutely. One of the keys I hear you saying in preparation is having that mindset that it's partially my responsibility. I mean, my career is my responsibility and it doesn't mean you're going to do it on your own. Got support people in PD and other places, but you have to take the initiative, right? Right. I tell our attorneys, I do a policy and procedure review for every new person. One of the things I say to them is you have to advocate for yourself and for your career just as zealously as you advocate for your clients. No one's going to know that you want to do something unless you are clear and communicate that you want to do something. It's really up to you to make sure that you're successful. You set your career goals. We can help you. We'll help you. We will scaffold you as much as we possibly can and provide you with as much information as we possibly can. But we can't get in your head and tell you what your goals are, you know, what you want to do next. Right. Right. That mindset of it's up to me and I have help, right? Correct. Let's shift a little bit to mental health because I know we share that interest in that. And my gosh, we've gone through a lot in these last few years with the pandemic and other things. Talk to me about what your firm and what you're doing to help support attorneys and any tips you have for folks that might be struggling because maybe they did get a review that wasn't exactly what they wanted or other things going on in their life. Yeah. So one of the things I'm most proud of is really jumpstarting the firm's mental health initiative. I work with a team, our benefits team, and Tim Henderson, our chief, also is on the well-being team. And we are really committed to making sure that well-being is a constant conversation at the firm. And we have been doing well-being weekly announcements. It's on our intranet page. It's the first announcement every Wednesday, and it's just on a different topic each week on well-being. I think what I've been seeing a lot is just generally stress and anxiety in terms of making relationships, because over the past couple of years, that's been challenging, especially for our new associates, class of 2020, class of 2021, who have all started in a time when there's not a lot of people around to make these in-person relationships with. In fact, our statistic, we looked this up not too long ago, 43% of our current associate population started during the pandemic or since March of 2020. That's a lot of people. Now, some were summer associates prior to that and were able to have, you know, the class of 2020 were 2019 summer associates. So there was some relationship building opportunities at that time. But not being able to re-engage in the same way and then strengthen those relationships that had started that summer have been really challenging. And then, of course, for the class of 21, it was the same. I see a lot of anxiety around getting good work assignments because you don't necessarily have one go-to partner to know that they're going to call on you when they have a work assignment. There's been a lot of anxiety around, am I going to be able to get work assignments because, you know, I don't know enough people to be called on when the work assignments are 
available. So we are working on, we're in the midst of working on a work assignment process. That's something that we're trying to do to help combat that sort of anxiety. You know, I think it's getting a little bit better with getting back to the office and folks are less afraid of getting sick. You know, that was a big mental health issue is just at the beginning is everyone's just afraid of getting sick and possibly dying. Thankfully, that is really mitigated. And so we're really now just working on the comfort level of being back around other people and being in large space with other people. And we have a retreat coming up in October and we have full attendance. So that's a great thing. <laughs> so I'm feeling like, okay, maybe that anxiety is, is gone to some extent. So those are two of the things that I've really seen bubble up the most anxiety and relationship building. Mm-hmm. And relationship building. I mean, it's, it's tough anyway, across generation, right? Other differences. And then you add in the distance and a pandemic and all the fear associated with that. Now that that's been mitigated, mostly, not completely, what can you say, and we'll kind of end it here, on tips that you have for associates that join from other firms or are new to the firm from law school? If you could have a magic wand and have one thing you could change, what would that be? Uh, (laughs) That's a great question. I think the biggest thing is to ask for help. I mean, really, I just think you're not alone, right? You're not the first associate at Finnegan to ever struggle with whatever you're struggling with and ask for help because someone has dealt with whatever it is you're dealing with right now. I love that because I think a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety comes from the fear of, I don't want to look stupid or, oh, I should know this, right? Mm -hmm. And if you feel like you have permission to ask, that's very freeing. It's very freeing and you don't always have to ask a partner. People feel really intimidated. Ask me, ask anyone in the professional development team. Right. Ask your peer associates or advisors or others who are with you. If you feel like you're intimidated that someone might judge you for the question you're going to ask, I'm not going to do that. And no one in PD is going to do that. Right. We're a resource for you to say, okay, you know who else is not going to do that? Go ask this person because they're not going to judge you. And then they're also going to be able to give you perspective. Because they were probably in your shoes last year, year before. Exactly. I love that answer. And I love this idea of connecting the recruiting process to professional development and on. Mm-hmm. It's all interconnected. It's all about the human experience. When we deal with candidates, I try to suss through those things, find out what scares them, ask them to go get some counsel. And if you want to be able to expand your skill set or just get more comfortable interviewing, right? Go talk to people, practice. And then continue that. What do I want to start doing? What do I want to stop doing? What do I want to continue doing so that I'm managing my career? Exactly. Using PD professionals like yourself as a resource, I think is huge. And I don't think enough of the people I deal with do that. Yeah, I think you're right. I love the whole stop start continue model and we've actually started to institute that to some extent in our feedback conversations. It's been a new thing for us, but I think people really kind of like that structure and framework for it. Our job, I always tell people, my job is to answer your questions. That's part of my job. I love that. Yeah. I mean, ask me the questions and I've been here far too long. I can answer all of them. So (laughs) I love that. I love that. And I think one more thing, Susan, on the tip you had said just about the recruiting, the interplay between recruiting and then PD. When you're in the recruiting process, the people who are interviewing you are the ones who are your first points of contact when you then 
join the firm. And so almost always we assign one of them to be your peer advisor or your partner advisor because they already have that kind of somewhat established relationship. That's where you start with building those stronger and deeper relationships with people. Being aware and conscious of that and making note of that and on day one, keep cultivating that, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, I can't thank you enough. I love talking with you. It's been my pleasure. Really appreciate your knowledge. And it's nice to validate the things that we're seeing as we talk to candidates, as we work with different partners. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to seeing you in December at the PDI conference. I can't wait. That sounds great. Okay. So nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye, Jonna. Bye.